Well, brothers and sisters, it is a privilege for me to be here. Again, my name is Justin Smith. Um, I'm the RUF campus minister at the University of North Texas just down the road. And Mark mentioned some of the kids have been a part of my ministry. One of them happened to be Caleb. Uh, his son has been a part of my ministry for the last couple of years, which has been a great privilege of mine to, to be a pastor to him. Uh, I'm married. My, name, my wife's name is Catherine. And funny enough, I was driving down the road here and turned on Legacy and realized uh, this little office right here off of F Legacy is where my wife works. I didn't realize it was that close, but she's a, a ear, nose, and throat PA. She works at ENT Techs right there, um, which is pretty cool. I have two children. One of them is named Vivian. She just turned four on Friday. And I have a son named Nathaniel who will turn one on April Fool's Day. I'm April 1st. Um, and we chose that. It was a planned <laughs> planned uh, break, er, uh, delivery, so that's our fault. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful to be here with y'all, grateful to preach the word this morning. And so let's stand as we read together Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Do you have some, let me see. Okay. <laughs> it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. May you bless it this morning as we consider it. May my words be few, and my meditations be yours. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Let's start with a provocative quote. The writer Marva Dawn says this. Worship is a royal waste of time. It is totally irrelevant, not efficient, not powerful, not spectacular, not productive, sometimes not even satisfying to us. It is also the only hope for changing the world. Why do we gather together on a Sunday morning? Why do we come into this place on a Sunday morning, gathering out from the world to come together and be here? Uh, according to the, the world standards, there's so many more productive things we could be doing with our time. We could be having a nice brunch with friends, even good things. We could be working out or exercising, napping, getting a little extra work done. Spending time with the kids. 
Why do we choose to set aside time and come into this place and gather together? To worship. That's what we're going to be exploring here in this passage. Why do we come to gather and to worship? And there's, there's kind of two kinds of worship that we talk about often. One is this sort of personal, all of life is worship. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So whether you're uh, eating or drinking, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you're working, you do it to the glory of God. So there, there's that sort, but there's also this, this particular corporate gathering worship that we do on Sunday. And that's what we're talking about on the Lord's Day. What is this worship that we're gathering here to do? What are we here for? Two big points. Drawing near to God and drawing near to each other. Uh, This is what uh, the, the writer of Hebrews pulls out to us. Drawing near to God and drawing near to other. And so first, drawing near to God. We come into this place to draw near to God. Which would beg the question for this audience hearing these words, with all the things in their minds, how? (laughs) How in the world do we draw near to a holy God? All the the Old Testament sacrifices might come to their minds. All the the worship from the Old Testament might be running through their minds. The, 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 The sacrifices over and over and over again. Mount Sinai, the mount where if you even got close, you could die by touching it. They would have thought of the Holy of Holies, which if you know the Holy of Holies is this this one place in the temple that only one guy, the high priest, could go once a year into the Holy of Holies, and he had to make sure that he was very clean. Uh, There's even a uh, a story that, that, that say that he would wear bells as he went in there. And if, he, if the bells stopped ringing, they would tie a, they tied a rope around his leg and they would pull him out because they knew he was dead. And so when the writer of Hebrews says we should draw near to God, we should still also be asking that question in some sense. How do we draw near to a holy God? It's not a different God from the Old Testament. We worship the very same God. In fact, in Hebrews 12, just a couple chapters after our, um, our passage here, the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Or consider the, the couple instances, a couple different instances in Scripture. In the Old Testament, you have Isaiah and Isaiah 6, who draws near, who comes into the presence of God. And if you remember the passage, what happens? He falls down as if he were dead, afraid to gaze on God, Saying, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. How could I possibly be in the presence of this God? Or, we come to the New Testament. Peter, in Matthew, Jesus brings in this this load of fish to their boat. They're out fishing. Peter says, it's it's not going to happen. And Jesus brings in this load of fish, and Peter falls on his face. 
He says, depart from me. I am unclean. I Woe is me. I cannot be even in your presence, Jesus. How can we draw near to this God? Annie Diller writes this. She says, on the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness we wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preserver and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. How do we draw near to this holy God? I think if we're honest as we think about it, there's probably two different ways that that most of us come into Sunday mornings. Two ways that we, we try to approach God. One is a way of confidence even in ourselves. Perhaps confidence in what we might bring. A confidence in what we have done before God. As if God is taking attendance on a Sunday morning. Look, I am here. That we come in order for God to notice us. And this reminds me of the story in 1 Kings 18 with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. If you remember this story, it's basically this showdown between Elijah and these prophets. And they basically set up their two sacrifices to see which God is actually the true God. And the prophets of Baal go first. The prophets of Baal set up their sacrifices. And what it says is they, they start basically chanting and singing and yelling and trying to get God to notice them. And they, they start cutting themselves, bleeding out, trying to see, see if God will actually see and show up and notice them. They're gone. And yet nothing happens. Elijah, on the other hand, with the sacrifice and the water around it, simply prays. And God consumes it. But I think some of us might come into this place like the prophets of Baal. With confidence in what we have. Or, or, or that's trying to, to, to get God to notice us. But with very little awe for who God actually is. A confidence without awe. But there's another way of approaching I think is this. A sense of awe but without any confidence that we can come. Perhaps you're, you're here and you actually take the holiness of God seriously. But you don't think God or even others could actually love or accept you into his presence. You think, look at all of the things that I've done this week. Consider the ways that I have wrecked my life this week. Consider the the sins that are so easily entangling me. The the ways I continue to go back to these things. Think of the, the deep anxieties that I live with constantly. How in the world would this holy God ask me to draw near? And yet, The call is to draw near. Listen again to verses 19 through 22. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, into this place, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now these are all metaphors, uh, the metaphors of the curtain and the sacrifices and the high priest, again, that would have come to their minds. This, this curtain that was split in two, this sacrifices that would have continued over and over and over again and the high priest uh, now, these are not images that come to our mind quite as readily. Even the images of sacrifice and death that would have, they would have thought of. Because in a lot of ways, we, we live sanitized from uh, that part of the world from us. Even the food that we eat comes packaged for us at the grocery store. So we are rarely, unless you grew up on a farm, uh, privy to seeing real sacrifice. So, apologies for this illustration, <laughs> if you're a vegetarian especially. When I uh, went to, after I graduated from college, I lived in this house with uh, a few of my uh, roommates. And we lived on this house that had about a couple acres of land, and we decided we wanted to make a garden. So we, we plowed over some parts of it, and we, uh, landlord was okay with it. We made this large community garden in our backyard. Well, we had the garden, and one of my roommates decided, hey, let's get us some chickens. And so we had the garden, and we had ten chickens, two little chicks. And as these, these chicks grew up, we had one of them that we named Holly. The only one that got a female name was named Holly. Well, Holly, the only... The one got a female name actually turned out to be a rooster. So Holly, the rooster, uh, lived with us for a little while until we realized we could not have more chickens being had in our land. So we had to eat Holly. We ate Holly, the rooster. And so we had to go through the process of killing Holly. And part of the process, in the most humane ways, you stick it in this cone that comes down with its head coming out through the bottom, and you have to cut its neck, and the blood spills out. Why did I tell you that? <laughs> because it was a bloody mess. And the reality is sin is a bloody mess. It's graphic. It's serious. It's bleeding out. It's, and, and they knew of these sacrifices. They saw Holly, the, the, the rooster, in more graphic details over and over and over again being killing, killed. Bleeding out. And the reality for us is the only way for us to come into the presence of a holy God is that we have to be holy ourselves. We have to be made holy. Uh, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, the, the beginning of this chapter. Uh, this is from the message. I, I like how Eugene Peterson puts it here. He says this, 
No matter how many sacrifices were offered year after year, they never added up to a complete solution. If they had, the worshipers would have gone merrily on their way, no longer dragged down by their sins. But instead of removing awareness of sin, when those animal sacrifices were repeated over and over, they actually heightened awareness and guilt. The plain fact is that bull and goat blood cannot get rid of sin. That we need something better. In fact, we need the blood of Jesus. We need his blood on our behalf. And in fact, this is our entrance point. Hebrews 10.10 says this, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That the entrance point to a holy God is being made holy, and we have been made holy by the blood of Jesus spilt for us. And if you know that you have been made holy by the blood of Jesus spilt for you, what that actually does is it gives you both confidence and awe at the same time. All in the fact that he had to die. He had to be the one that was cut to bleed out. He had to be the one to take the punishment for us. My sin. But confidence because he actually did it for you. Christ bled for you. Cleansed you of your sin in order for you to draw near to God. And this is not based on the strength of your faith. Even if it's wavering, it is based on the object. It's based on Jesus bleeding for you. D.A. Carson offers this illustration of, of these two men talking to one another during the Passover. If you remember, the Passover is this uh, the last plague in Egypt where these two Israelites, he says, are talking to one another as the, the angel of death is about to come over. And the last plague, if you remember, is um, God was going to come through and all the firstborn sons were going to be killed. Unless they took the blood of the spotless lamb and, and, and wiped it across the doorposts. And, and if, they, if the angel of death saw this, he would pass over. And he imagines this conversation between two Israelites in this house, and one of them looks at the other and says, How are you feeling? I'm a little nervous tonight. I mean, the angel of death, that's pretty scary. And the other one looks at him and says, Well, yeah, but you did put the door on the blood on your doorpost, correct? Well, yes, of course. I put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Of course, I know I need to do that. He says, well, if, if that's true, then we know that God has promised to protect us. And the other one says, I, I, yeah, still a little scary, isn't it? And the question is, which of these two were saved? Which of these two's firstborn sons were saved? And the answer is, both of them. Because it wasn't based on 
the strength of their faith, the, the, the amount of faith they had in that moment. It was based on the object, on the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost. And what this means for us is that our entrance into drawing near to God is not something that is earned by us, nor is it something that is lost. It is simply by His life given for you. That if you are in Christ, if you are united to Him like we just sang, you are welcome to draw near to God with confidence and all, which does this. It takes a twisted heart like ours, and it can make it honest before God. It can take uh, an evil, dirty conscience before God and make it clean and free to come into His presence. It can take the doubts and fears that we have and replace them with confidence before Him. Not in what we do, but in the blood of Jesus shed for us to draw near to God. Which leads us to this grateful response and joy that He would welcome us into His presence. This holy God would welcome us into His presence in order for us to waste our time for Him. Again, Marbodon Worship is idolatry unless it is a total waste of time in earthly terms. A total immersion into the eternity of God's infinite splendor for the purpose of honoring God. So we come into this place to draw near and to waste our time on earthly terms in order to honor God with who He is, to worship Him for who He is. And so we draw near to God. But secondly... We draw near to each other. We draw near to God, and in doing that, we draw near to each other. The writer of Hebrews connects these two ideas. That the gathering together, worship is a formational activity for us. It is forming us into a particular people. It is forming us individually as we are, our affections are shaped, as our, our minds are changed, as we are drawn more into knowing God. But it also is forming us corporately into a body, into a people who can worship God. I think uh, Stanley Hauerwas actually gets it right when he says this. Gathering on a Sunday morning indicates that Christians are called from the world from their homes, from their families even, to be constituted into a community capable of praising God. The church is constituted into a new people who have been gathered from the nations to remind the world that we are in fact one people. Gathering therefore is the foretaste of the unity of the communion of saints. This drawing near to one another is a foretaste of that Unity that will exist. We're like, like Peter says, we are stones being built together into the temple of our holy God. And what this does for us is it reorients our lives back to the fact that we are not the center. That you are not the center. I am not the center. God isn't the center and we reorient our lives together around that truth. 
And so how do we participate in this life together? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us a couple ways that we do this as we draw near. One is this. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. That, that we draw near by, by confessing our hope together, which is uh, learning to be faithful to the truth in a post-truth age. We live in a post-truth age, and yet we come in here and we confess the real hope and the truth that we know that is given to us. And we do this because as you walk out these doors, there are going to be tons of competing narratives that are going to try to tell you the way the world actually is. Narratives of, 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 of school, narratives of politics, narratives of sexuality, narratives of all kinds that are going to try to weave you into their narrative. And we come in here to hear the word that it might re-narrate us into God's story. We are not the center. We are re-narrated into God's story. And as we confess our hope, it also reminds us of this, the unity of the faith across the ages. This is why we read the same words. This is why we confess the same creeds. The people across the ages, across time, across even the world today are confessing the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, saying these are the things that we hold in common, that we are unified about. And we do this, we confess also by singing hymns together. You realize that, that often uh, many of the hymns we sing are, are directly to God, but many of the hymns we sing are actually we're singing to one another. Oh, come let us adore him. That's you singing to one another. We're calling each other out. We come is what one of the songs started with. We come together. Let us love and sing and wonder. It is calling us one another to confess our hope together. So we confess our hope. And then secondly, he tells us that we should, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. And so we draw near together by learning how to stir one another up to love and good works, which means that we, we learn to be other-focused in a hyper-individualistic age. In a hyper-individualistic age that is all about us and our needs, we learn how to be other-focused, to, to think about others around us. And he says that we should consider how, which means we have to think about it. How am I going to stir this person up? How am I going to encourage this person? Which also means you need to know that person. In order to know somebody, you have to know somebody in order to know how to consider how to encourage them. Which also means this, you need to show up. <laughs> That's why he says don't neglect to meet with one another. And so we show up together to know one another so that we can consider how we might encourage one another. And so we draw near in this way. And that's not just Sunday mornings, but that's in Sunday school or community groups. I'm, I'm not sure how you do it, but in your normal lives, how do you know one another? And this might not seem very productive <laughs> in our world. 
but is how God is calling a people to be his people together. In fact, as, as we do this, there's one more aspect of drawing near. Which is that as we draw near to God and worship, we draw near to one another and worship. What this is doing is it's preparing us to draw near, the writer says, to the day. We do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is this day? The day is the day where heaven and earth will be reunited. When Christ returns, when all things will be made right, where our union with him will bloom into this perfect union with one another, where we will see the renewal of all things, that is the day that we are longing for and looking for and hoping for and confessing toward And as we do this, this will actually build patience and resilience in our anxious age. We're anxious about a lot of things. And there's a lot of reasons to be anxious. Work. Students for exams. The relationships that have gone south and sour. Family struggles. Struggles with health, perhaps, you're dealing with. Threats of war, disease, all of these things are waging war on us. Death itself. And if you are not in the midst of that, suffering will come at some point. Jesus even guarantees that we will face trials and suffering and tribulation in this life. And we long for things to make sense. But they don't always make sense. And so we long for the day. That day, that glorious day when he will return and right all wrongs. And this worship, as we do this, builds hope in us in the midst of pain. And so what we do as we come together, actually, is some of us go from a place of joy in our lives, and learn how to go to a place of lament with one another. That we learn how to weep with one another. Others of us learn how to go from a place of lament to a place of joy, where we rejoice with one another. That we take on these things with one another. And in fact, in this way, uh, this is what my campus minister, when I was in RUF, used to say. He said, worship is not an escape from reality, as we often imagine it to be. Rather, worship is an encounter with the true reality. We are encountering the real reality that God has called us out to one another and is go- preparing us for that day. That is what we are being called to in worship. Not to empty your minds, not to leave your problems at the door, but to bring all of you into this place to weep and to lament, to rejoice and to sing and to praise as we come to the God who is our salvation. The future that's promised is the one where God will ultimately draw near 
and dwell in the midst of his people. That's what this picture is of drawing near. One last illustration. Uh, strange transition, but early on in the, in the Soviet Union, Stalin established in Poland uh, what was this village called the New Town. Now, Stalin, in his communist regime, imagined that he could establish this one kind of colony that would be a picture of what he hoped communism would bring. And so in this town, he constructed beautiful architecture and parks and pristine landscapes. And he constructed these spacious apartments and these perfectly paved roads. And, and what he was trying to do is saying that this is what his hope of communism would bring. Of course, it is now just a monument to the tragedy and devastation that it brought. And yet, imagine that image. Philip Yancey writes this of that image. He says, what if Christians used the same approach in secular society and succeeded? In the world, the Christians should work harder toward establishing colonies of the kingdom that point to our true home. All too often, the church holds up a mirror reflecting back the society around it, rather than a window revealing a different way. In fact, churches like this one are called to be that new town, that, 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 that community, the, the picture of the kingdom that is to come. And as people look in through the window, what they will see is people drawing near to God and drawing near to one another. And that will be something so desirous that they'll say, who is your God? <laughs> who is this Jesus? We want that. So let's learn how to draw near to God and draw near to one another. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to trust the blood of Jesus as we come to you. Even as we come to the table, we trust, not in ourselves, but in you. But you call us to draw near. Help us to, to learn how to draw near to you as we draw near to one another. And to be that new colony, that colony of, of heaven that has shown forth your love to the world around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.